because that tells me what matters because we don't experience pain unless it matters to us. And welcome back to another part train. Welcome aboard. I got my co-host and partner in crime, Matt Cermak. Welcome aboard another train, Serm. Ev, it's always good to be back and riding on the train. This was... I mean, what a great episode, you know? This was a different episode for us. We'll get to that in a second. But in case you're new, thank you for hopping aboard. Our mission on the part train is to help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course. And we believe that if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. Yeah. We interview PGA Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, mental coaches, psychotherapists, everyday golfers like you and me, all in an effort to make the hardest game in the world feel a bit easier, help you get out of your own way, shoot your lowest scores, and enjoy the ride. Guys, before we get to this episode with Matthias, yep. Matthias. Matthias Barker, uh, a quick word from our friends at Roback. Uh, Roback Performance Apparel, Serum. Uh, I told you about what happened at the member guest. People were coming up to me left and right. There was a buzz. Dying about finally getting their hands and to see uh, Roback polos and Q-zips in person. And I just saw all the sales roll in. Serum, it's been a big month. A lot yep. of people are using our code yep. um, and our link and our discount, 15% awesome. off. And people are loving Roback. Talk about the Q-Zips. If you don't live in Los Angeles, like Ev, you might need a Q-Zip. <laughs> it gets a little cool. It gets a little cooler. It gets in the high 60s. Um, no, the Q-Zips are great. I've got three of them. Um, all different kinds of colors, different prints, but they fit really well. Um, collars stay strong, not too tight in the waist. Sometimes that can be a Q-Zip problem. Mm-hmm. Um, huge fan. They're just really, really sharp. They're great over a golf shirt. Going to the office, playing a little fall golf. I'll tell you this play, Ev. You do the Roback golf shirt, you do the Q-zip, and then you do the vest. You want to talk about wow, layering. Layer. <laughs> yeah, have your vest stay. But I actually make that play all the time. Um, and I will be making that play next month as weather gets cool. Huge fan of the Q-zips. Some great colors, too. Got to get yeah. So the Q-zips are stretchy, super soft, and they're, I think they're the perfect amount of warmth. Sometimes Q-zips are too heavy. Sometimes yep. they're not heavy enough. I feel like Robacks are the perfect blend of like and, and thin. Easy to swing in them too. That's yeah, another problem. Really stretchy. When you get too um, tied up top in the shoulders, they're really easy to swing in. But here's the thing. I personally like to size up. So I'm 5'11". I'm like 185. Um, I, I'd say I'm a little bit more built up top than Cermak probably. So wow. I personally, I like to size up. So I wear a medium. Not as quick. A- <laughs> not as... <laughs> Agile, but I got speed. I got speed too. (laughs) All right. right. (laughs) Uh, So, personally, if you're my kind of build, I wear a medium, fits me perfectly in polos. Q zips, I like to go to a large because the medium did go a little bit too tight around my waist. I like it to lay flat and loose. Um, So, that's me on hoodies and Q zips. I wear a large. But, Serm, you love medium on both. I'm a medium across the board. Yeah. So, so here's what you got to do, guys. Don't just listen to us. Get it for yourself, and and you know, hop aboard the rowback train. So here's what you got to do. Hit the show notes of this episode. There will be a link in there. Tap that link. You'll get 15% off your first rowback order. No need to enter a promo code. And in case you're not in Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you're scrolling through Instagram or Twitter, just go at the Par Train. Find our account. Give us a follow. Tap the link in bio. There's always a link there. 
uh, to get 15% off your first Roback order. So thank you to our friends at Roback. Um, love them. We're about to get our new shipment of gear. It's Q4. You know what that means. So we're going to get another shipment of stuff. So that's always a treat for Here us. Here we go. Q4. Let's do it. Okay. A quick preview of our conversation with Matthias Barker. So just to give people context, I found Matthias this past year actually on TikTok and Instagram. The guy has blown up. Okay. He's a psychotherapist based in Washington State. And he has over 2 million followers now. He puts up a video almost every day, it seems. And um, as I would watch his stuff, um, I would realize, God, there's a lot of amazing parallels between the things he talks about just in basic psychology and being a human as we go through on the golf course. And so, like I said at the beginning of the episode, sir, this was a bit of a different show for us, right? Normally, we have sports psychologists on. We unpack very deep things in the game of golf. But today, I think we talked more generally about how our minds and our experiences shape us, how that those mental constructs work, and then we related it to golf. Um, so a little bit of a reverse order. But I thought it was super interesting, and I think if you've ever struggled with your game, if you've ever felt so frustrated that you wanted to quit, I think this episode is so calming and like reassuring yeah. that it'll be a great episode to kind of help you reset, refocus what's productive for you, and then start again on your golf journey. What did you think? No, it was absolutely. It was a great interview. We talked about, we hit awareness, we hit routines, we hit judgment. Um, And he tied it back to the game, embarrassed me, tied it back to golf really well too. But yeah, this is an episode where, you know, how do you, how do you get your mind and your life in the right place? You know, um, he deals with all kinds of people every day on their day-to-day lives and their relationships and their personal growth and their goals. And as you and I have said forever, Ev, I mean, you get your mind right off the course, <laughs> helps your mind on the course. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in, well, am I hitting enough balls? Am I watching enough YouTube videos? Probably too many for that matter. Yeah. But am I, am, I, am, I, <laughs> am I taking the right lesson? When really maybe, you know, you got to just kind of even step back and detach yourself a little bit and think about, everything that's not involved with golf, maybe figure out, get, get that better. And it'll have a nice translation. So he really sifted through all that. So well, we could have gone probably for two hours at least. At so, least. Yeah. 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 I felt like we barely got to scratch surface and we went an hour. So maybe one day we'll have him back. Um, definitely go check him out at Matthias J. Barker. Be one of the 2 million plus. Clearly he's doing I'm, something. I right. mean, how strong is that? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys as always for hopping aboard. Um, if we've helped you at all, give us follow at the par train on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Love all the messages and the replies. Twitter. Um, and give us a subscribe on Apple Podcast and a review. If we've helped you at all, guys, all those DMs we get every day about the stories, they're amazing. Do us a favor, share your story so other people can be inspired by them too on Apple Podcasts so that we can continue to do this more and more. And um, no matter how you're hitting it, no matter where the ball goes, no matter how inadequate or frustrated or embarrassed you might feel, what do we got to do, Sarm? Just enjoy the ride. Thanks, guys. Take care. Matthias Barker, welcome aboard the PAR train. Thank you, sir. There he is. Yeah, happy to be here. Happy to talk with you. We are pumped to have you. 
Matthias, I referenced this off air for a second, but I just want to I, I just want to throw some context out there for the listeners. Um, we're going to go through this together. This is more of a unique episode, something that we've never really done, where historically, when we've had folks in the psychology world on, it's usually sports psychologists or people that work in the game of golf. And this is something personally I've wanted to do for a while, because I think what we usually do is we go really deep into the game of golf and help people that don't normally think about their psychology and how their mind, mental constructs work and impact their day-to-day rounds in life. And then we kind of hope that those skills funnel into their life. And I think what we want to do today is talk more generally and help people understand why they think the way that they do, why certain struggles pop up the way that they do. And then we can relate it back to the game of golf for people. Um, but I think this is going to be a really fun conversation to help people kind of think about psychology in, in a way that they haven't before. And every time you speak, I connect with it. And so I'm really grateful to have you on today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited about that, too. I think it's a it's a fun game and one that I've struggled with, I, I guess, as everyone has struggled with. But <laughs> yeah. it's uh, in, in an interesting way. Sometimes it's kind of the projection of our own mental stuff that we have going on. We put it into that game. Mm-hmm. And when we're struggling with the game, sometimes in the background, we're struggling with other stuff. And so that's what makes it maybe particularly interesting and intriguing to me. It's like whenever we devote so much of our brain space to, I don't know, a puzzle, um, sometimes we're trying to solve more than just mm. what's underneath. So yeah, it's a conversation. Well, so- I've, I've gotten to work with a few uh, golfers and, and people who competed and, and as, uh, you know, in my clinical practice with clients. And so it was a fascinating world to get to explore, not just maybe the the ins and outs of how to kind of mentally prep yourself to perform well in athletic, you know, in athletic activity, but also just kind of what sometimes it can symbolically represent in other ways. Totally. And, you know, I just found out this morning that Matthew, Matt Cermak, my co-host was almost named Matthias. Really? The last <laughs> this second is was true. named Matthew. My great grandpa on my mom's side, German family, yeah. Matthias Schulian. Mom wanted it. Dad said, mm. We got to go, Matthew. It was the last second. Yeah, you should thank your dad. It's a rough name. It's, it's like, <laughs> it's a str- I mean, it's as strong as it gets. You just don't have them anyway, you know? Well, it's um, funny because the first days of school were always a nightmare because no one knows how to pronounce it. And everyone was like, Matthias, Matthias, Matthias. And then I, 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 my parents settled on pronouncing it Matthias. But then every yeah. person from Europe I meet says I'm pronouncing my own name wrong. Hmm. And then they correct me. And so I'm like, hey, man, I get to, I get to pronounce it however I want. It's my name. Um, well, did you ever go by Matt? I think because you could, mm-hmm. they wanted to do Matthias with one T because that yeah. was not two T's. So, yeah, well, I went by Matt earlier on because I was all nervous that I had this unique name and everyone's like, well, Matthias, that's weird. And then my nickname in, in like middle school was Matthias, which I didn't like at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, so uh, I don't know. I just kind of stuck with Matthias in high school, though, because I noticed it's unique. It's different. It's new. Oh and, yeah, uh, and that's that's a strength. Um, I didn't know that early on. I was, so I was Matt for a long time. Anyone who knows me, like pre eighth grade, calls me Matt. Love it. So Matthias, um, we don't hesitate from going deep here on the train, and so yeah. I'm going to start you yeah. off with a quote. I actually mm. saw it on Instagram this morning from Chopra account, and I thought it was really relevant, and I thought it could be a really interesting jumping off point for today. So the quote was. Mm. Maybe the amount of extraordinary things that happen in your life depend on what you notice. Mm. And 
awareness is something that we talk a lot about. And I just want to hear what comes up for you when you hear that quote um, to start today off. Yeah, I had like 20 things jump in my head. I think um, one of the first things that comes to mind in that quote, maybe, yeah, that's, that's inspiring in the sense that attention, what we give our attention to, has perhaps the greatest impact on the kinds of ways that our environments reach out to us. Mm. So, for example, like I could be walking, you know, on a hike and depending on really like my goal in this hike, different things are going to jump out to me. If I'm trying to make time, if I'm trying to like, you know, really find the most efficient way to get up the mountain, there's going to be certain pathways I take. There's going to be certain kinds of things that jump out to me. Like maybe I'm walking along a riverbed and I see a log laying over the riverbed. And I look at that as a bridge because that's going to get me to the top faster versus if I'm taking more of a scenic route, or maybe I'm walking with my kid. Um, that's not going to pop out to me as a bridge because I don't, I don't know. I don't want to risk my kid falling in or it's me getting to the top fastest. Isn't really the point. Maybe there's a more scenic route farther out to the left. And so a lot of our goals, a lot of our ambitions, um, the things that capture our attention, they don't just impact maybe our emotional state or, you know, something more, you know, kind of bland. It really, it really does impact the full picture because it's going to determine the kinds of pathways we take in life. And then, um, it also impacts the way that our environment reaches out to us. So there's a reciprocal nature to attention, which is fascinating. Yeah, that's what jumps out to me. That's, that's what it inspired me to think about. All right, so again, welcome to the show. You know, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about, and I think we're going to talk today a lot about awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as we connect it back to golf, to life, just understanding why things are happening <laughs> to us, mm-hmm. right? And how can we make them better usually than make them worse? And um, so I wanted to ask you, like, as you work with your patients, how do you, I guess for our listeners, how do you practice awareness? What do you, what do you work on? You know, obviously you're talking to a lot of patients about relationships, about self-improvement. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you sift through all this and, and yeah. really get better at it? Right. But at the end of the day, that's that recognition of um, mm-hmm. maybe some things that aren't going so well. Yeah. You know, how do we turn the corner? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's really related to you know, that quote is just whatever you give your attention to is going to determine the way that the environment jumps out at you. It's going to determine your life. And so I think the first question is sorting through all sorts of life complications when clients come and sit in my chair is like, okay, what are your goals? What are the things that uh, you want to get out of life? What matters to you? Like what's valuable? And that's kind of a hard, like really, (laughs) I don't know, general question. Like if, if I were to depress somebody, like, you know, right out of the gate, they'd be like, uh, I don't, I don't know. And, and if it's hard to kind of think of those things, often what I run to is what are the things that hurt the most? Like, what are the things actually that are the most painful? Mm. Because that tells me what matters because we don't experience pain unless it matters to us. Right. Like, uh, sucking at golf doesn't matter unless you really want to be good at golf, you know, in, in proportion yeah. to your desire to get a particular score, you're going to experience negative emotion when you don't hit it. Does that make sense? Mm. So there's, and, and there's a lot of people that kind of go a lot of different directions philosophically with that reality. And so you have maybe more kind of Eastern and Buddhist traditions that say, hey, we got, we got to just let go of expectation. We got to let go of desire because that's the thing that creates pain. I don't go that direction. I, I go maybe the opposite direction and saying actually pressing into the things that are most meaningful to us is what enriches our life and creates flourishing. And so creating acceptance when things don't go well is actually the thing that brings us closer to the thing that's meaningful. 
And so for, for the guy that's, you know, <laughs> breaking his club after he has a bad swing, there's, there's a deep desire for things to go well there. That's actually mm-hmm. not a problem. Sure. It's how you're engaging with your desire and your goal. Is it moving you closer to that goal or is it actually getting in the way of it? That's, it's almost kind of a pragmatic question. And I don't know, maybe breaking your club and just like venting and blowing off some steam is going to help you concentrate. Maybe it gets you more agitated and worked up and then you kind of suck on your next swing too. And so it's, it's less of like, oh, is that a right or wrong thing to do? It's more like, is it pragmatic? Does it actually get you closer to your goal? And that, that breaks down into all sorts of different areas of life. That's your marriage. That's how you relate to your kids. That's how you're dating. It's like, are the things that you're drawing your, that draw your attention are the things that you're putting attention into are those one um, connected to your values and the things that really matter in your life. Maybe two, a good sub point here would be, are they rightly ordered? Like, are you putting more attention into your golf game than into your marriage? And is that, is that uh, do you value well, your golf game more than your marriage? Like that, that's a good question. It's right, like, are you right. giving the, uh, the appropriate amount of attention to the things in the order in which you value them? That's, that's a whole world to explore. And then are the strategies that you're using to engage with those things actually bringing you closer to that meaningful thing or distracting you from it? I mean, there's, there's a lot there, but, but uh, that's, that's maybe some of my initial framework when I'm talking to anybody that sits in my chair. I think that's a really good reminder for people of like a great way to take a step out of, you know, the emotional response we're having of like, well, I'm feeling this negative emotion because I so badly want the mm-hmm. other, right? And yeah. so it shows how much I care. And I was just talking to Serum about this before you hopped on. Mm. Matthias is um, I've noticed a big shift of I just had a member guest tournament a few weeks ago with one of my best friends. And, you know, it's kind of the big tournament of the year for me. I'm not a pro. I'm a seven handicap. So like having $10,000 on the line and a lot of people I know back at a home course with my best buddy is a big event for me. And I've we've had been really lucky to have a lot of amazing guests on this show. I've grown a lot. Um, from co-hosting it and I felt like my game was best suited for this big stage um, than it's ever been and I think what happened is I wasn't as fearful as I was to mess up in years past but my desire to do well was higher than it ever was and therefore my negative response for when I didn't perform as well I felt incredibly inadequate like as a human um, it, it, my ego immediately started to say things like, you do this for a living, you know, mm-hmm. how can you be, and I'm sure you might experience this as a psychotherapist, like, mm-hmm. can't, shouldn't you be able to like snap out of this quicker? You know, like, this is what I preach. This is what I do. And yet I struggled and suddenly was identifying my results with my self-worth and I felt really inadequate. And I think a lot of people experience that in the game of golf, because a lot of times, you know, it's easy to be frustrated early on when you can't hit the ball. But then once you start seeing good results, you start getting better, you start putting more time into it, you spend more money on equipment, you're playing better courses, shooting better scores. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, it's easier to tie yourself to your results. And it's a lot, it's a lot easier to yeah. feel negative emotions to your point. Well, and that's, it's almost impossible to avoid because every time you set an aspiration, there's a corresponding point of shame for not hitting that aspiration. Kind of like what we were just saying, right? So it's like, if I desire to hit a certain score in relation to that score, like, let's say I I shoot way, way above that. Like I'm going to be to the degree that I'm missing the mark, I'm going to feel more and more negative emotion. 
and because that's that's like it creates a counterbalance it's um i don't know it's the same thing if you're i don't know trying to like if you're not not in golf but if you're like trying to cut weight for like a certain you know sport you really want to have some sort of athletic performance it's like depending on how many pounds over you are you're going to feel worse and worse and worse like so that's that's almost just like the nature of setting a goal and that's i don't think that's the bad part the question is what do you do with the negative emotion and what a lot of us do is we beat ourselves up and we harass ourselves and we start criticizing ourselves and then my question clinically is is that the best strategy is that actually the best strategy to get you closer to the goal or is that actually getting in the way of the goal because my guess is when you're harassing yourself like oh my gosh you're a professional at this like you're blowing it you blew ten thousand dollars why you have to go home and you have to tell people that you wasted all this money when, when you engage in that dialogue does that inspire you to do better do you feel like you're actually shooting progressively better as you move through the course or is that getting in the way and you're shooting worse and worse and and maybe you've been looking forward to this event all year and it turns out to be like the worst week of your year because because it was just bathed in this negative shame and anger at yourself yeah. and right and, you know and so my my pivot there isn't actually to try to get you to distract yourself from any negative thoughts or or try to get them to go away or it's it's just actually to meet those negative thoughts actually with some acceptance and almost to engage with them and have a conversation with them like you were having a conversation with a good friend of yours mm -hmm. and when you do that it actually kind of takes some of the uh I don't know, some of the um, intensity and bitterness out of it because it has less of a pull on you. Um, maybe, it, maybe a metaphor for it might be like if you're swimming along, you know, this river and there's all, you're a fish, right? Let's say you're a fish swimming along and there's all these fish hooks in the water. You can notice these fish hooks. You can even swim around them, but there's a big difference in, you know, biting on one and then trying to pull and resist and get it to go away. And sometimes when we really do commit ourselves to getting these bad thoughts, this negative mindset to go away, it actually sinks deeper and deeper into our psyche and becomes more of a problem than if we were just to notice them and be like, oh, yeah, I missed that shot. Oh, I'm really disappointed. That's so frustrating. I wanted to hit that. Ah, all right. Man, that makes me sad. Next, next, hole, next hole. And not to paint a simplistic picture there, like there's, that can be a more thorough dialogue, but it's, um, there's, there's almost a, an attitude shift in when these negative thoughts show up. Am I surprised by them? Either am I mad that they're there? Do I have a rule internally that these bad thoughts need to go away in order for me to perform well? Or is there a mindset of like, yeah, it makes sense that I'm upset because I spent $10,000 here. It makes sense that I feel disappointed because I have a reputation and that matters to me. Um, and almost to move that anxious, liking uh, fear and anger into something like grief or sadness, because that's a form of acceptance. <laughs> that's the connection with golf and life and anything you do is yep. we want to overcome our failure, but we also, you know, want to at least control it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, that's that challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. Well, I want to dig into acceptance for a second, Matthias, mm -hmm. because, um, folks that haven't really had either a mindfulness practice or, mm -hmm. you know, short-circuited their automatic thought patterns and started to practice awareness so that they could choose their attention, like that quote. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people, their immediate reaction is, how can I possibly accept? So I think one of the biggest challenges and also um, biggest keys to living a fulfilled, happy life, in my experience, mm -hmm. is acceptance. Like, if we spend our entire life pushing against our current reality, we're never actually present. We're never actually mm -hmm. living. 
Yeah, but the well flip said. side, what people were say is how the hell am I going to accept this outcome that I clearly mm-hmm. don't want? How do you help people move past that immediate reaction of how can I possibly accept this? Like, yeah. let's acknowledge the pain. Let's acknowledge it. But I think what you said is it's not a great strategy. I want to dig in on acceptance a little bit more for those people. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great point. And I think a lot of people have a lot of definitions in mind when we talk about acceptance. What I would say acceptance is, isn't saying, oh, I like this. It's good. Um, oh, it's fine. My golf game doesn't really matter anyway. That's a version of letting go of the dream, right? So like what I was saying about you have this dream, you have this aspiration, you have this goal, and you can try to lower that standard for yourself so that the pain doesn't hurt as much. Um, or you can say, yep, I have this high goal and I fell underneath it. And acceptance is just like, that happened. It happened in the past. I can't change the past. And, I, and then the question is, what's the best strategy to move forward? And the strategies that we often think will work is self-berating ourselves, like self-criticizing, maybe even like going over that thing in our head over and over and over, replaying it over and over in our head. And then just like this intense negative emotion. And I guess my argument is that's not the most helpful strategy. There's, there's things you can do to actually get you towards your goal in a more efficient, efficacious way. And one of those things might be to give yourself some compassion and to grieve the fact that you didn't perform the way you wanted to perform. And acceptance is just like, yep, that happened. And I'm disappointed. And that doesn't need to fix. I don't need to fix the negative emotions that arise in that. I don't need to make them go away. And then, you know, there's a, there's a reasonableness to like, okay, how can I prepare to change things next time? But sometimes that can oscillate out into these like mind games where we're not actually being productive in the ways that we're trying to replay over and over and over again, how we mess something up or, or, um, especially when you get caught in the mind game of, oh, if I mess up that way again, how will my life look worse in the future? It's like, you don't have all the variables, so you can't actually reasonably think through that puzzle and come to a a helpful conclusion. It's like trying to do a math problem without all the numbers. It's like, you don't know what the next game is going to be like. You don't know what's going to happen next time. There's so many variables that you don't have access to. So that rumination, that obsessive reflection over what's going to happen next time isn't actually helpful. What's helpful is getting back to the driving range or getting back to the course and practicing. That's helpful. But that's, that's kind of what I mean by acceptance is acceptance is that happened in the past. And I hate that it happened. Okay, what am I going to do different next time? And then when the negative emotions rise up, when the anger at yourself rises up, noticing yeah, that's actually not the most helpful strategy to get me to move forward. And, and, uh, that's easy to say it's harder to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's almost just kind of like this idealistic sense of like, Oh, just don't think about it. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. It's, it's almost yeah. the opposite. It's, it's notice it, swim by it. Don't grab onto it. It's, it's not actually a series of, of having like this fake positivity, sugarcoating it. Um, Oh, it's not a big deal that I didn't hit that standard. It's okay. I'm, it's no, it's, it might be a huge deal that you didn't hit that standard. Um, because like in life, there's standards that are less, I don't know, here or there than golf. Like, like maybe your kid's really mad at you. You have a teenager that really feels frustrated by you. And, and that was not the dream you had for your kid. You wanted, you wanted to have a close relationship. You wanted them to respect you. You wanted them to come to you for advice, but you notice that your advice is the last thing on their mind that they want to hear. And that actually deeply bothers you. It's not a good solution to be like, ah, it's okay. It doesn't really matter. It matters a lot. You know, so you're, the question isn't, how do I make this matter less so it hurts less? 
the question is what's actually the most efficacious strategy to move forward to reach a goal that I have. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. With us, as Evan knows, I love to talk about routine yeah. and mastering our routines. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on how you implement routines with your students. You know, for me, when I don't play good golf, I think about what was my routine like that day. Mm. And, and, and oftentimes, you know, why was the Sunday round not as good as the Saturday round? And I oftentimes tie it back to my routine wasn't, you know, I wasn't in my process and that's because my mind wasn't right. Maybe for other reasons in life, but mm -hmm. sorry, I got some sirens in the background here, here in Chicago. Um, but how do we, how do we implement? How do we master? How do we, how do we make that the most important? Because to me, it's, it's kind of everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what we're talking about there like what's the environment that your game is is kind of existing within and a lot of us you know we want consistency in the way that we can build the good things in our life and so routines habits those are so much more important than some kind of i don't know just coping skill like that i teach people is is the everyday things you build your whole life on that so yeah i think that's a great point i think the habits matter a lot um i think you know if i were if i were trying to talk to somebody who wanted to create habits in their golf game to be better too i would say that there's a lot of periphery almost like adjacent habits that would be really helpful you know in improving that game even beyond just making sure you're getting to the course enough and making sure that you're practicing it's like your sleep your diet and then also just like the general stress that you have in your marriage with your kids with your job just like i almost think of it like computer ram like uh, like how many things how many programs are running in the background that's a huge thing it's like yeah if you're trying to hold the stress of this huge project at work that you're kind of procrastinating on the stuff with kids at school that you're not paying attention to this it's uh you know a wife that's okay but you're not feeling super like connected and and like you know you're, you don't have the intimacy you wish you had you sense that she's angry about something even though it's not like right in your face right now it's in the background it's like all that stuff takes up ram you know in your mind and so there's actually some wisdom in taking on those things even though it feels like it's a way bigger hassle on the front end to like open up a conversation around like you know hey babe how are we doing like is there things that i could be doing to not just like help you around the house more help with the kids more but just like to make you feel more heard more listened to are there ways that i could be i don't know like how, how have you been these last six months what's been the hardest thing that you've been holding this last year what's been the hardest part of this last year for you and then really listen without fixing and really listen without offering solutions or trying to make the negative emotions going away. That may feel like it opens up a whole like Pandora's box of complexity, but maybe, I don't know. And I don't know who's listening. Everybody's situation is different, but sure. what I find is sometimes opening up these Pandora's boxes can be really helpful because you can actually organize what's in that box. And then you don't have it in the background, taking up your Ram as you're trying to focus on other things. Well, and so, think, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, it's interesting because I mean, look, everybody wants to do well every day, but it could be a million things. Well, I got to get up. I got to get up the earliest. I got to eat the healthiest. I got to meditate. I got to journal, you know, mm -hmm. there's all these things. And, uh, but sometimes you can only do a couple, right. And yeah. I'm sure you have to coach different people in different situations, but like, maybe you can't do those six today, but did I do two or three, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, but that's hard, right? Because you can overcome yourself with trying to be this personal growth master, <laughs> and but you can't forget some of the core things. I don't know. It just, yeah, some of the I think, I think some of that, 
some of that too can actually function as a distraction from the stuff that really needs your full attention. You can feel good about hey, I'm getting up and I'm reading an hour a day. I'm reading a book a month. I'm doing all these things when I don't know, your kids need more of you or you need to focus on projects at work or you need to get, you need to go exercise. Like maybe, maybe like a book a week and no exercise isn't the best arrangement of how to put together your time. I don't know. Like it depends on the person, but uh, like someone I really like, um, just recently, I've been getting into some of his stuff. Is Ryan Holiday? He's a, a oh, yeah, stoic reading, philosopher. Right? I'm reading uh, his book. Uh, the power is it? The power of stillness or stillness yeah, is the key? Yeah, right so, now. Still, stillness is the key. Yeah, yeah. I'm reading or that right courage now. is the key. I don't know. He has a courage and stillness book. I don't remember. But um, yeah, he's he. Uh, I was watching a video of his yesterday, and he just was talking about the um, kind of the stoic value of boiling down the things to what's essential and letting everything else fall down. He, he's like. Stop filling your life with things that aren't essential. And then you get the double benefit of both, you know, having more time and more attention to be able to focus on the things that actually deserve your attention. And so you, you perform better at the things that really are essential. Those things grow and the things that aren't essential kind of fall by the wayside and they, they aren't um, taking up that ram, you know, like I'm talking about. So, yeah, I think those habits are huge. I, and I, I would say that there's a million different ideas of things that you should be doing with your morning. And for some people, mindfulness is going to be a really big help. I, I love mindfulness. I think that's huge. I think everyone should have a, a mindfulness practice of some sort. But for others, that's going to be more of a walk in the morning. Some, for some people, it's going to be their run. Like their run is their mindfulness activities. For some people, it's going to be prayer and, and more centered around religious practices. For some people, it's going to be just, um, I don't know, hanging out with the kids in the morning with a cup of coffee yeah. or reading them books or doing whatever. It's like, there's what are the moments that you're present? Maybe is, is a good yeah. question. What are the that's moments a, that you that's are? That's a great way to say it. Yeah. yeah. What are the moments that you're in that moment and you're not in the past or the future? You're not ruminating on the future, worried about what's coming. You're not regretting the past, beating yourself up. You're just in that space. And everyone should have a time of the day where they structure out a way to be present because it's not like that won't happen accidentally. Um, so yeah. And, and exercise, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of exercise, huge proponent of eating healthy. Um, my morning routine usually looks like I wake up um, around 6.30, I go to the gym with a buddy um, and lift weights. And then I get back and I have breakfast with my family. And then um, I go to work and I spend the first hour of my work just reading uh, the Bible and praying, having some time with God. And then I um, usually spend the hour after that reading something kind of psychology related, whether that's a, a psychological journal or just kind of brushing up on some intervention skills, reading, I don't know, like a book, book by Ryan Holiday or something, trying to build into just my intellectual world. And then um, I take on clients and stuff or make videos or whatever after that. And so those practices really add up because something as simple as like what you do for 20 minutes a day adds up over time. Like if you do the math over like 20 minutes every day over the course of a year, over the course of 50 years, I think it was uh, after 52 years, um, what you do for 20 minutes a day adds up to a year of your life. And if you added up all those minutes side by side, you're looking at an entire year. And so when you are looking at just that hour before work, right. you're looking at a solid three years of your life. And what are you doing with that hour? Are you scrolling through TikTok and Instagram? Are you, um, I don't know, are you doing something that enriches you and benefits you that adds to the things that are meaningful in your life? Because you might look back and if you could look at the budget of what you spent your time doing, you might regret spending three years of your life on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter. You might, uh, right. What, what you know can what you, I mean? con what can you control at this? Maybe the start, really the start of your day, 
you can hang your hat on because that day might go off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But what can you say when you go to bed at night? You know what? I did that. I did that morning workout. I did that journaling. Right. Because what are your guys' routines in the morning? Go ahead, Ev. For me, fitness is, um, I, I've noticed that building habits, it's what's helped me maintain a routine is thinking about how it makes me feel after. So mm-hmm. if I'm focused on hitting a certain weight, then I'll break it. But if I focus on this is a non-negotiable because it gives me energy, and then I realize on a day I don't do it, look how unproductive I am compared to the days mm. that I do it. It, be, it, it, it becomes a non-negotiable. It becomes a habit. Um, and so exercise in the morning is, is everything to me. I love yoga because it is, serves as like mm-hmm. a mindfulness practice as well as exercise. Yep. So it's like a yep. two-in-one. It's like a meditation mixed with a workout. Um, and my, you know, it's not groundbreaking, but my diet is same thing. I notice how I feel after certain foods mm-hmm. versus not. Um, so my fiance is nice enough to make uh, protein shakes every morning. So we have those <laughs> as our breakfast and we exercise. We go on a walk around the marina. Tara's the best. Here in LA. Mm-hmm. She, is. she is. We go on a walk. <laughs> we both work out. We have our shake and then we kind of go into our, our day. That's what about good. you, sir? Well, I find there's two two versions of it when I know I'm at my best self. One, it's if I'm working out, I play squash, right? So early in the morning, if I'm playing squash, it's competitive. You got to show up. It's accountable. There's somebody there. That feeling of morning fitness, but in a unique competitive environment. And then if I'm not doing that, but if I get up, I have a coffee, I sit outside and I listen to music and it helps me think, Mm -hmm. helps me get kind of inspired for the day. Um, So if I start out my days, those two, one of those two ways, and if you can blend them, great. Work out and then maybe do both of that. It's a double. But uh, I have found, and sometimes, you know, you don't do it, right? You're out too late the night before or whatever it was. But that's when I found, find myself my best version of myself. Those two little things. So it's good. Yeah. And Matthias, I actually think that golf is a mindfulness practice mm-hmm. for me um, because there is mm-hmm. nothing. And that's one of the, my favorite things about it. One of my mm-hmm. favorite things about this show is. Um, there's failure, quote, failure around every corner. Yeah. There's expectations and then there's immediate feedback. And you can go from focusing on the wrong thing in one shot and mm. you reset, focus on something that helps you and you have a great shot. And so it's constant feedback. And I love the practice of kind of what you said earlier, but on the golf course is, okay, I, I find that that's really one of the biggest keys, Sarm, you can attest to this, of all of the pro golfers, really top amateurs we've had on this show, um, they are really good at saying, yep, that happened. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Right? They, they don't get as wrapped up in what it means. They just go and do again. They execute mm-hmm. again. They accept it and they move on. Because mm-hmm. I think inherently they know that the opposite doesn't help them. Mm-hmm. So I think... That to me is a really, really strong thing to remember for everyone listening to this is, is this the best strategy? Just ask yourself that, you know, is this the best strategy to get me to better golf? Probably not. Okay. Yeah. I haven't really had a great uh, day so far. Let's focus on what might help me. Right. And that's this next shot at hand. That might be a breath 
over the ball. That might be letting go of maybe, you know, that I have to be a, the best golfer today to be a good Evan. You know, like there are things that I can then reconstruct that helps me perform better. So I, that's one of the main reasons I love golf is because of that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, well said. I think um, it's, uh, it's a combination of a lot of things. It's not, just, it's not just your morning routine. It's not just your mental game. It's just not, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's everything. I think it's like the composition of a whole life is going to be able to create a mental environment that pushes you forward or drags you behind. And yeah, yeah I think that's just swimming by those fish hooks, kind of like earlier. It's, it's a good analogy. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's a huge help for people. I've just seen it change lives is the ability to in psych world. We call that diffusion. That's the big psychological term, but it's the ability to notice a thought as a thought, not just me. Mm-hmm. So when something comes into my head, I can notice that as something separate than my identity, separate than my mentality. And then I can choose to either put that on the shelf and and kind of, you know, avert my eyes, or I can choose to like embrace it and eat it up and swallow it. Like, you know, that's, those are two totally different things. So yeah. let me ask you this, Matthias. I think um, I would love for you to unpack for our listeners embarrassment. And we'll probably end up unpacking ego a little bit from that. But um, can you help people understand where the root of embarrassment is like where embarrassment comes from and how it plays such a big role in our daily lives and especially golf golf is a huge place where people feel embarrassed and adequate and i just would love to talk about that for a second yeah well two things come to mind on on maybe more of a less heavy level um embarrassment just means that you care about the people around you and you care about how they think about you and that's not bad there's a there's a normal part to feeling embarrassed that's just like being a human being that cares Mm -hmm. i don't think it's wrong to care about what people think about you i know that's like tribalism is human nature right yeah it just means you care about the connection with that person right and you're nervous because you care yeah what's wrong (laughs) with that i think when you start to notice that those nerves or that embarrassment is like driving you away from your friends like you don't go golfing with your buddy because you can't handle being embarrassed in front of them that's you can see then that that strategy is not working because you're because the value there is actually that connection with that person or that person's opinion of you which isn't bad maybe you respect that person but uh when you start to notice that your embarrassment's becoming a boundary for you actually connecting that's when you're noticing like this isn't the best strategy this is actually creating the outcome that i don't want because a lot of times our fear and embarrassment is that we'll get rejected and then we'll be alone and so we try to avoid that by just avoiding people, which ironically enough, leaves us alone. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's the same outcome. It's, uh, but you just got there feeling in control. And, and often my question is like, is that actually what you wanted in the first place? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's on the first surface. Maybe the second layer, if, if it goes deeper than that, is we have um, all of us have experiences in our lives that left us feeling um, inadequate or unloved or unimportant or incapable or out of control. Maybe that's a severe trauma. Maybe that's our relationship with our moms or dads. Maybe that's a rejection or a breakup or someone who cheated on us, whatever. It's like, we all have these experiences that deeply, um, changed us. Mm-hmm. And then we have these aspects of our personality that try to protect us from feeling that pain. And so that protector version in us 
can sometimes pick something as, I don't know, superfluous as golf to almost try to use that as a battleground to figure out something deeper. And so you're realizing that the shame of, I don't know, your golf score is so intense and has such a powerful sway over your whole emotional composition. Like my question is like, how much of your life actually is golf? Like how much, let's say 20%, let's say you're a fanatic, you love golf, you don't do it professionally, but it's, it's what you're doing when you're not at work or not with your fam. It's like, okay, my question is, does golf have 20% control over your psyche? Like is the emotional toll that it's taking 20% or is it more? And if you're noticing that like your golf game takes, it has like a 50% sway, 70% sway on your mental health. That tells me that you're, uh, it, it, there's a psych term called a complex, which means that there's something going on in the background that you're not aware of. And maybe you're using golf to figure out something else entirely. And so that shame that you're experiencing, that disappointment, that anger is actually a redirection. It's something you're mad at your dad. You're mad at your, I don't know, your ex-spouse. You're mad at uh, not getting that job, not getting into that school. You're mad at uh, someone who took advantage of you. And you're taking it out on golf and there's no clean cut way to know if you are, or aren't doing that, but maybe a signal, some, some things to pay attention to would be is, does this game have a huge sway over domains that have nothing to do with golf? Um, and then the shame that I feel is that like, oh man, I'm disappointed. I looked like a fool in front of my buddies. Ah, all right, whatever. Or does that like ruin you for days and make you want to not reach out to your buddies and not reach out to your friends? Does that make you avoid things that matter to you? that's a signal that there's something deeper going on, at least in my mind, but I'm a therapist. So I think that way, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what well, I, I, th I think it's tough. Cause when we practice so much and we don't see the results, mm -hmm. our mind goes a different direction. My golf coach always said golf doesn't define you. It reveals you. Mm. I think that it's a good connection to life. Right. Mm. But we have to recognize that as Evan, Evan and I know it's, it's tough and uh, for our listeners, but it's the challenge. So, yeah. Well, it's yeah. the perfect ecosystem and environment for the ego. Because, um, Matthias, you know, you played off and on. I mean, it's the mm -hmm. hardest game in the world. The ball's just sitting there. It's mm -hmm. all on you. And so everyone that plays and plays a lot and that gets good, there is a, speaking of tribalism, there is a tribe of being a good golfer that is almost like put up on a pedestal. Like mm -hmm. there's a reason why our mutual best friend, Matt and I's, gets asked to play with the CEO of his company, right? Mm -hmm. There's a reason why he gets to do that. It's because people put really good golfers on a pedestal. It's the hardest game. So when you get to that level, yeah. there's this pride of being there. And so of, to your point, it might be like people trying to like mask other things. Like when you accomplish that, there, people joke. Like there's a million memes about it every week. Like there's no better feeling than hitting a perfect three wood you know, mm. or a perfect drive because it's been so hard for so long. You mm. just accomplished perfection and it's not a game of perfect. There's been many psychology books written on that. One of the most famous ones by Bob Rotella. So, um, that's the struggle. That's the push and pull is we've seen perfect. We always want perfect, but we have to acknowledge the reality that it's not a game of perfect. It's hard. And how can we do our best and let that be it? doesn't mean we don't want to get better. It doesn't mean we're not trying to learn. Right. But how can we take things as learnings 
instead of shameful moments yeah. of inadequacy. And Matthias, before I bet you tie that into your practice in counseling relationships. It's not a game of perfect, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think there's two ways you can go with that. I think you're right. We're, we're not perfect. And so we should give ourselves some slack. I, I think though, that there's a certain kind of personality type listening that won't accept that. That's yeah. just like, no, I demand perfection. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe all those other guys are okay. Like, oh, it's okay. Well, you have a good day, you have a bad day, but not me. I'm the kind of guy that wants to be the very best. And I think to that person, what I say is like, it's actually, okay, fine. You can, you can push for perfection, but when you fall short of it, you're not allowed to harass and beat yourself up. That's actually just not okay. So like, that is, that is a violation of, of your values to berate yourself because, and then the, the powerful argument, like I was saying before, is like, it actually gets in your way of achieving your goals. And so I don't think high goals are a bad thing. I don't think wanting to be the guy that people call up to, to play, you know, with the big, I don't know, in the big leagues is, is a bad goal. And I don't think that the only way to comfort yourself when you fall beneath that is to be like, you know what, that goal doesn't really matter. It's fine. I, I don't have to be perfect for those guys out there that need perfection. I, I get, I've, I've, I've dealt with lots of high capacity CEOs, entrepreneurs, athletes, just people who, man, you wouldn't believe the standards that they set for themselves, but it's wild because they sometimes hit them. Like, and then they push the bar of what perfection could mean. And it's really inspiring. And I think the way we're, the reason we're inspired by that is because it's, it evokes our imagination. It evokes what we could be. There's, there's something really cool behind it. And I have no problems with any of that. I think the problem is, is when you don't hit it, it's the intensity of self um, harassment and self hate and self frustration that you think the more, if, if I can just up the punishment, then that'll motivate me to get towards the bar. And I, I don't think that's been shown in the data to be helpful. I mean, there's, there's some personalities that are going to be really motivated like that. Like there's some of us that are going to listen to Goggins and just like, he's just like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Hey, just like, <laughs> we, know, we, a, know, we a, know what he says. <laughs> come on, we get it. And it's inspiring. He's changing lives. Like, right. so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say that. There's a balance though, right? Yeah. He's just like all about just like, you know, working on your inner bitch and not being this like, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. this wuss and being lazy, get up and just getting up and going. <laughs> and, and I think that that'll work to a point, but what I fear is that there's people listening that when they're using that self-harassment, when they're like really beating themselves up for messing up, they're, uh, they're beating up a version of themselves that's been, I don't know, that's been traumatized or beat up before in the past. And it's antagonizing a wound. It's, uh, it's antagonizing a version of themselves that's never really felt heard or, or allowed to come out of the closet. And, and what I've seen just in my clinical practice is when it's, it's not bad to have standards, but when you can bring that woundedness and your past out and let it have a place at the table, instead of harassing it as the weak or the lazy version of you, you actually are empowered to move towards your goals with more efficacy. And it actually gives you some more gas in the tank. And, and I've seen that, like I was watching Michael Jordan's documentary and he just berated his team. Like the guy was ruthless. Yeah. And for some guys that helped, but for some guys it really didn't. Some guys actually got in their heads and they weren't able to play with them very well. And I don't know, Jordan, he's, he's the best. So you can just say, well, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't ready. He wasn't tough enough. Another solution to that, though, or another way to interpret that was like, hey, man, that strategy works for some people. It really doesn't for others. And if you really, it's its own deficit. Maybe that would have been a really powerful person on your team to have if you just knew how to not harass him. And that might have empowered him to, I don't know, for you guys to to win more championships. It's just like, that's a, that's maybe the, the interplay that I see 
within the psyche, within the ego. Well, I think a big theme of what I'm hearing, Matthias, underneath is the power of curiosity mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of people don't take the time. I mean, you said at the beginning of the show, what do you want? Mm -hmm. What are your goals? Most people sit in the negative emotional spiral of what they don't want. They never actually verbalize or vocalize what they want. Yeah. Um, and to your point about like certain styles, certain tendencies, what, what gives me energy, what takes it away. If people take nothing from this podcast, I hope that they take the power of curiosity to at least understand your own tendencies. Mm -hmm. What helps you? What fires you up? What made you feel bad? What were you thinking? Why were you thinking that? Like yeah. start to talk to yourself like you would someone sitting in the chair across from you. And I know it sounds silly, but that's the only way to act in my experience to break out of automatic thought patterns that we've had for 20 plus years mm -hmm. is you have to get curious and then mm -hmm. lean into my coach talks to me about this all the time that I talk to every week. She's like, let's deconstruct what you're spending your time on each day that drains your energy. And then yeah. let's identify what gives you energy and let's do more of that because mm -hmm. that's going to funnel and have a compounding effect. And so, yes, that's more of like a daily routine, daily task, what I'm focused on. But the, the point of why I say that is because we had to get curious and reflective of what those things are before I can identify them. And I think curiosity is the key for that. Yeah, well said. Going to put it better myself. That's great. Yeah. And what I'll say is vocalizing and writing it down after a terrible day or after a terrible golf round, that helps. <laughs> it really, really helps. It, it, adds a, it adds a human layer or a release, I should say, so I can feel better going into that next round. Yeah. So, great. Matthias, I know we're almost at time. I can't believe it. I feel like we just started. Um, <laughs> can we talk and finish today talking about stories? Um, cause everything we've kind of talked about, we've talked about in little buckets, you know, of embarrassment and, you know, self-harassment and feeling inadequate and all these things. Um, but a lot of it ends up adding up to stories we've been telling ourselves, and we don't even, people don't even realize it, what their story is and how we make something into a story instead of accepting it for what it is. Can you talk about how you help people first identify what story they're telling themselves, and two, start to create a new narrative. Because the golfer listening, they might have a story about they're a shitty putter, or they can't hit the driver, or they always blow it. When they've got a great score, they blow it coming down the stretch, right? Mm -hmm. how, do, how do we help people start to tell a new story? Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of things come to mind. I think... Um... Maybe let's let's go two different layers. The first layer might be that that the kind of script that you're telling yourself over and over in your head is 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 going to work itself out into a reality if you're not careful. And so that I think the reason I've spoke so vehemently against that self harassment, that that self criticism, you know, in this podcast is because I just see it over and over actually creating the disaster it's trying to prevent. And that just happens. I think if, if everyone could just like almost be a fly on the wall in a counseling office for like a year, like the things you'd see, like you sure. just see some patterns 
occur over and over. And one of them is like when you avoid and you do things out of fear and criticism, it creates the likelihood um, of the disaster you're trying to avoid. So for an example, that's totally disconnected from golf would be, let's say you have someone with OCD that's really nervous about germs. And so they wash their hands dozens of times a day. Maybe they're using hand sanitizer hundreds of times a day. Well, the sulfates and the soap, the alcohol and the hand sanitizer is going to dry out your skin. And what happens when your skin is super dried out? It cracks, right? And you'll get sores. And I had a colleague with a client that um, the sores on his client's hands got infected because he had open wounds all the time because he wouldn't stop washing his hands because he was scared of germs. And so the thing you were doing to try to avoid getting sick made you sick. Mm. The strategies that you were using to avoid the sickness actually brought about the sickness. And so what happens with avoidance and fear and this anxious criticism is the thing you're doing to try to avoid messing up your putt might be the thing making your hand shake. The self-criticism, the intensity, the rumination, thing that's creating your pad performance. I think on a higher up level, um, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson. He has uh, just kind of this, this talk right. where he talks about... He's great. But, yeah, he's great. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, he's solid. Um, he's, uh, he has this whole thing just talking about perfection, right? Kind of going back to this idea of being the best. And he just talks about the kind of sacrifice that's often actually required to be perfect at something. And he talks about the guys who work 100-hour work weeks, the Elon Musks of the world, the, you know, the, the guys that literally devote entire lives and minds towards one thing. And he makes a really great point that that's what it takes to create perfection is this wholehearted devotion towards just one thing over decades. That's typically like when we're talking about that devotion, the guys who do that are the guys that sacrifice things like um, the quality time in their marriage and kids uh, going on vacations, uh, being able to maintain friendships, being able to, right. I don't know, enjoy other things in life. And he says, and this is powerful. It's an understated point of this, but I think it's important where he says, most people choose a composite of multiple things and forego perfection in one thing to enjoy multiple facets of life. And that's typically the more meaningful choice. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's great to be the John Lennon, the Michael Jordan, the, I don't know, the guy that changes the game. That's cool. But it's not the only meaningful life that's worth looking on and respecting. There's something to being a, a dependable person in your career that actually is a good member of the team, someone that your kids can come to and feels that trust and rapport with because you're present, someone that your wife kind of likes, you know, someone that you're, I don't know, that you have friendships and people can call you when they're in crisis and you're the kind of person that can be interrupted. And that is actually a quality Mm. of someone's character Mm. that is understated Mm. and that you can take a golf game and maybe someone's trying to talk about something's going on in their life and you can actually put on pause the intensity of focusing on the game so that you can be present with the person who's going through something. And I think if you were to look back on the totality of your life, it's the moments that seem less glamorous and less extraordinary that actually make up the substance, not just of your character, but on what constitutes a flourishing life. And uh, that's not giving up. That's not being okay with mediocrity. And, and I would argue that's actually far more meaningful and valuable than just perfection in one thing is uh, having a well-balanced life, not balanced in the sense of giving up and being ordinary, balanced in the sense of you have multiple things that are flourishing in your life. And uh, that to me is actually more of what it means to be human is to, to be well-balanced. And I think that takes maturity and courage in a lot of ways. So I think there's some guys listening that are mad that they're not hitting the perfect shot 
but I don't know. There's other things in your life that need your attention. There's other responsibilities that you've taken on. There's things that people you're accountable to be dependable in that uh, are going to mean that you're not going to be able to hit that perfect shot every time because there's only a few men on the planet, few men and women on the planet who can do that. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean you're less than. That just means that right. you've spread but, out your chips. A but little bit. and that's the perspective, Matthias. Right? We work. We work on the really important things in life outside the golf course. We might find ourselves playing better golf then, yeah, right? Because yeah. Yeah. And that's what we, that's it, right? That's our, our motto is enjoy the ride. It's mm. hard to enjoy the ride when you, you're not putting the time to the things yeah. you just talked about, right? So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's a great way to end, Matthias. I know you got a call in a minute, so we'll let you go. Um, mm. If you guys aren't following Matthias, be one of the two million plus people yeah, and, and hop a aboard <laughs> uh, at Matthias J. Barker on Instagram nice and crew. TikTok. Um, I think those are probably the two best places to find mm -hmm. you, your website, um, yeah. and YouTube as well. Just Google mm -hmm. your name, Matthias Barker. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, any last words you want to end on? Yeah, I'm just thankful to be here, guys. This is, yeah. this is awesome. I think that, um, it's, it's not every day that I get to talk to a big group of athletes. A lot of my work is kind of focused <laughs> around trauma and marriage and, and helping people in those goals. And so this was just a treat to get to explore what it's like to try to attain a high performance goal. So yeah, to everyone listening, I'm, I'm excited about this podcast. I'm sure that you've gleaned a lot from, from these guys and the hosts um, that bring interesting guests on. I'm, I'm thankful to be one of them. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Absolute awesome. pleasure, well, Matthias. Great yeah. to meet you. Thank you yeah. for hopping aboard. Um, and we should do this again sometime. It's great yeah. to meet you. Yeah. Be in Thank touch. You. All right, take care.